Hi, I'm Kevin DeCristofano. I'm Sean Flanagan. We are the Ninja Turtle Nerds, your weekly podcast where we discuss the Ninja Turtle comics one issue at a time. How you been, Kevin? Wonderful, my friend. Um, <laughs> I've uh, I've actually been listening to a ton of this new podcast I discovered, and I really love it. I almost texted you about it, but then I was like, I'm just going to tell him when we record on Saturday. It's called No One Can Know About This, and it's it's been around for a while. I just found it. It's about these two friends that are playing all of the Final Fantasy games together, like starting at the first one, mm-hmm. and they they do this thing where it's kind of like a documentary where they they cut they record themselves playing the full playthrough of the game so like they record all 20 hours it took them to beat the first NES game and then they obviously they cut that down into I'll give it away like the the first season where they did the first final fantasy was 6 episodes each were about an hour long each so they cut the whole 20 hours it took them to beat the game down to those six hours. But also in there is like they intercut. It's like a documentary where they intercut them talking about when they were playing. And it's funny because for those of you who don't know, that first Final Fantasy game is brutally difficult. Like it's yeah. <laughs> it's like it's unforgiving and so they kind of they slowly go insane because they did this over the span of like three days like they didn't spread it out they marathoned the game and like went insane while trying to beat it and so like you'll get these things where like you'll hear them playing and like they're getting frustrated and then the like there's one part where they're talking about there are these brooms in one town that um when you talk to them it looks like they're talking gibberish and you hear them playing the game where they're trying to figure out like, oh, is it like something where you can substitute the letters and like figure out what they're saying? Because it looks like they're saying something. And then they'll come in with their their like testimonial dialogue and be like, it should be noted. We never figured this out. And what it is, <laughs> is all it is. And they're like screaming at their past selves. They're like, it's just written backwards. They just wrote the dialogue backwards. That's all it is. <laughs> and like they're they're like talking about. So it's a hilarious podcast. It's called No One Can Know About This. And if you like Final Fantasy games, it is not family friendly. I'll say that. They are they do say some bad words. Um so uh don't don't listen to it like if you listen to podcasts in the car with your kids, but but yeah, it's it's a great podcast. No one can know about this. And if you like Final Fantasy or video games in general, I would say check it out. I'm gonna check that out. That that sounds really really entertaining. Actually, I was laughing out loud at work listening to it. Like, nice. It, it's hilarious, and I don't think my description did it justice. But it's really funny. So how about you? What you been up to? So I saw this movie called Mortal Kombat. I'm watching that tonight. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, it can't, I don't have like high expectations for it. Like, oh my God, I saw on Twitter, like the Mortal Kombat fan base is insane. <laughs> and like, I saw so many people on there, like already talking about like, like first off, they, they were complaining about the runtime before the movie even came out. And they were like, oh, you can't possibly do all these characters in this amount of time. And it's like, they're not... 
it's not that deep a story, guys. Like, I know they the games have this, like, crazy in-depth mythology to them, but it really isn't that complicated. Half of them are just palette swaps of the same character. <laughs> All right, well, since you haven't watched it, I won't ruin it, but uh, if anyone follows me on Twitter, my review basically was, <laughs> I like the first nine minutes, the last fight, and the whole time in the middle, I'm like, man, we could be playing Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think a Mortal Kombat... I think that's why they should never do a Legend of Zelda movie. And you know I'm the biggest Zelda fan in the world. But it's... I don't think... It, I, there's certain video games I just don't think it translates to a movie. Like, the fun of Zelda is the puzzles. That's not going to translate into a movie experience you know what i mean half the fun of zelda is running an errand for someone and getting a heart piece that's what that's what brings you joy from that game not the story the story is super basic it's always like oh big pig man kidnap pretty princess lady find some triangles to help her like that's the story (laughs) (laughs) i mean hey listeners if you liked it great I mean, I oh, I'm gonna get hate for that for sure because tell, I know Zelda is, the story is more complicated than that. Oh no, 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 no! But it, enough to carry a movie. If you like this new Mortal Kombat, great. I mean, I I tried so hard not to, but I became angry '90s kid because it was just like the '95 ones just better. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it's more entertaining. Um, well, there's no way this one has a better soundtrack. No, that was no, they, one of the best soundtracks of the '90s. They, I think they barely used the Mortal Kombat theme. It might have showed up oh, at the end for like two seconds. It's, not, it's in there. Yeah, there there was a new version of it, but like it's like at the end oh, of the okay. movie. So it's like fan service. It's That's like what that movie felt like. I, I saw somebody's take that was really really accurate was. The movie was made on the assumption you know everything about Mortal Kombat. (laughs) I could see that. I feel like that's where the DC superhero movies get lost a lot of times is there's a like there's a ton of internet breakdowns of this, but I've seen a lot of them point out how the DC movies don't explain things to non comic book people as well as the Marvel movies do. Mm. Like they assume you know a lot about these characters. And as someone whose girlfriend knows nothing about comic books, I can say, I think it's true. Like, she loves the Marvel movies. She gets super lost in the DC ones. Well, let me know like, what you think. She legit knew nothing about who Batman was. Wow. <laughs> like, like I had, like, she was, like, asking me, what are his powers? What does he do? Like, what what is he all about? Like, you know, like, I was like, wow, I've never had such a clean slate to work with. That's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, let me know what you yeah. think, but I mean, if if you wanted a Mortal Kombat movie with no Mortal Kombat tournament and to see <laughs> Goro fight the guy who's the main character who is studio mandated in a barn <laughs> in the Midwest, you're going to love it. <laughs> well, you got to save the tournament for the third movie. Um, <laughs> so today... Today we're talking about <laughs> Turtle Dreams. I didn't have any way to segue that. I was going to try like Mortal Kombat, try to turn that into Dreams somehow, but I couldn't do it. Um, but the story today, it's Turtle Dreams. 
Issue 41 of the Mirage comic book series, Volume 1. Script by Matt Howorth. Pencils by... He did everything. Just like last last few issues, those two guys did everything. Now this week, this guy does everything. So he did pencils, inks, lettering. All Matt Howorth. Came out in November of 1991. So let's have a look at what was going on in November of 1991. This month in entertainment. So this is, I think, we're we're starting now to get to the movies where I remember more than I don't remember. Oh, okay. And I I think we're gonna I think '92 will be where the scales really tip, and I start to remember almost all of them. But movies released in November '91. The People Under the Stairs, <laughs> which was a spooky movie. Beauty. I feel like Halloween was delayed this year because you've got that, and uh, I mean it's not really a Halloween movie, but Cape Fear also came out in November, which was kind of you know it's a thriller, spooky, yeah, yeah. some spookiness to it. Um, also this month though, you've got Beauty and the Beast and An American Tale: Fievel Goes West, The Adams Family. Ooh. You were expecting maybe the Adams family. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible trailer. Uh, <laughs> and my girl, which always makes me think of the Joe Pesci show sketch on SNL, where he's pretend like they have. It's not really him because it's SNL, but like they have Joe Pesci interviewing Macaulay Culkin, and he says, "When you died in my girl, I laughed." Or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> um. So it's pretty obvious which of those made the most money. It was Beauty and the Beast made like $440 million worldwide, which was the number two movie of the year after Terminator 2, which made over $500 million worldwide, $515. Be our guest. I got a note. Do you remember when you, me, and our friend Nick uh, were flipping through the channels one day? And we saw the televised version of People Under the Stairs. Yes. Because there's a, there's a specific quote that we used to say to each other from how they censor movies on TV. And we used to repeat it all the time. There's a part where they censor it. And he goes, shut the face up. <laughs> we, <laughs> yep. We used to say that to each other all the time. Oh, so that, good times. <laughs> that reminded me of shut the face up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you like horror movies, that that's a really underrated Wes Craven movie that's worth checking out. But ninety one, pretty pretty good flicks. Music hasn't caught up yet, though, because music is still stuff that I would consider before my time. Even though I'm like what six years old at this point, <laughs> seven. <laughs> yeah, what are we six? Why is math yeah. so hard? Yeah, uh, we were. S- Seven. Seven, okay. Um, But, so November 9th, we've got... That's still just first or second grade, depending on the time of year. Um, November 9th, you've got Cream by Prince for the songs. Uh, November 23rd, When a Man Loves a Woman by Michael Bolton. Everyone knows that song. 
And then November 30th, I don't know this one, Set Adrift on Memory Bliss by PM Dawn. No. No, don't know that song either. It was number one for a week. Hmm. Okay, and the video games of November of 91. So November 21st, Nintendo releases The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past in Japan. So... Ah. I was talking about Zelda at the top. (laughs) Sometimes my favorite Zelda game depends on the day. (laughs) It's always in my top three. It's always my favorite 2D. That's just how I... (laughs) Yeah. There's like three Zelda games where it's like whichever one I'm playing at the time is my favorite Zelda game. (laughs) So Nintendo Power's cover had Final Fantasy 2, which is 4 in America. I don't know if you know about that. So oh, speaking, yeah, yeah. Speaking yeah, of that podcast. Say, it all comes around. Yeah, so no one can know about this. Listen to them. They did... They. I'm currently listening to the season where they're covering that game. Because they skipped the... I think they're doing North American release order on that podcast. Because they went right from the first NES game to Final Fantasy 2 on the Super Nintendo, which is 4. And they do address it on their show. Um, For those of you who don't know, the numbering of the Final Fantasy games in the beginning is all over the place. So in America, they went 1, 2, 3, 7. (laughs) And so everyone was like... Well, what happened to four, five, and six? But really, what we should have been asking is what happened to two, three, and five? <laughs> because they put the first one out in both countries. Then Japan, Japan got two and three, and we didn't get them. So their number four was our number two. Then they didn't release five here either. So their number six was our number three. We got that one. <laughs> and then at that point, at that point, they said, you know, what? we're not doing this different numbering in different countries thing anymore. Seven is going to be seven all over the world. And eventually they, they fixed the numbering of the, they released those other games in our countries. So yeah, anyway, the Nintendo Power cover, that was a big rant. Uh, It also (laughs) says features Game Boy, Battletoads, and NES Flintstones. TV events of November 91. Are we ever going to get to talking about this comic? Oh God, I got to move along. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Tweet at us. Let us know if you like these segments or not, because I know we're a Ninja Turtle podcast, but I also like the nostalgia factor. So, uh, So TV events. The music video for Black or White, the first single from Michael Jackson's forthcoming uh, eighth album, Dangerous, was televised on Fox. And the reason I thought this was interesting is it says, um, you know, there was controversy over the video's ending, but it says that it scored the highest Nielsen ratings to date for Fox. So that's still the highest rated thing they ever had was when they debuted the black or white single for Michael Jackson. And then it was all <laughs> downhill. What a different time. Because I like, know. <laughs> think about that. Like nowadays that would have been like the highest viewed video on YouTube for the week or something would mm-hmm. be the equivalent. So also E.T. the Extraterrestrial makes its broadcast network 
television premiere on CBS. And Saturday Night Live had a few episodes to kind of gauge where the culture was at. November 2nd, it was hosted by Kiefer Sutherland with musical guest Skid Row, which is an interesting <laughs> combo. Yeah, that makes didn't sense. Know, didn't know Skid Row did SNL. November 16th, hosted by Linda Hamilton with musical guest Mariah Carey. There she is again. We can't escape yep, Mariah Carey. Yep. She's our new, uh, on every episode. Yeah. November 23rd, Macaulay Culkin hosted with musical guest Tin Machine. Oh, that's cool. You don't know who Tin Machine is, but... I don't, know. Uh, it was a band David Bowie formed with a bunch of guys. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that's cool. So, I... I was thinking about this too in 1991. I was like, how old was Macaulay Culkin? He was a kid. And that got me wondering, mm-hmm. like, I wonder who the youngest host of Saturday Night Live was. Do you have any guesses? Because I have the answer. It's probably wrong, but I want to say Drew Barrymore. You're correct. In 1982. Seven-year-old Drew Barrymore hosted Saturday Night Live. Oh, wow. That's insane. <laughs> Drew, look at the cue like, ca- card. Cue card. No. Okay. Like, <laughs> who, uh, that, I, I, sh- there's no way they that that was a normal hosting week. Like, there was, they, they were, like, carrying the show and just putting her in a few sketches to say a couple of lines or, or something you know and there's no way a seven-year-old can handle those responsibilities <laughs> and in the other turtle comic the issue is the keeper is the 26th issue of ninja turtle adventures comics that's where um that's that's the other ninja turtle comic that was having that that was happening at the time and uh yeah so let's move on to this spotlight of the week issue here issue 41 where can the folks find this issue, Sean? So right now, you can get it on Comixology or the actual book. I couldn't find it in any collections. Uh, I did want to just mention that th- there's a series, and it's not easy to find anymore, but there's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Classics Volume 1 through 10, and it's a lot oh, of yes. the guest error stuff. And uh, I, I think some of them you can't even get anymore, but this didn't I think they're on be... Comixology. You mu- I, I think you know. can get them that way, but if you physically Digitally, want them, yeah. some of them are impossible to find. Some of them are not. So yeah. if you really like the Dream Team, you can get just their volume of all four of their issues. But uh, Which w- I, I always skip those because it was so confusing the way they released it. And now that we've done this podcast, I kind of get it. Like, mm. I get that, okay, maybe for legal reasons, because these were guest-era issues, they couldn't be mixed in with the other Mirage comics. But, like, I don't know. I really feel like they, IDW released the older stuff in such a confusing way. It should have just been volumes, maybe four issues at a time, and that way, when you had a guest-era thing, you could have, like, basically these collections should have been, like volume six of the mirage run and it kept going with the issues in the order they were released you know yeah they, i mean like i said color classics if 
Color Classics, if it continues, maybe they'll start putting them in because so far up to Volume 3 is everything in order. But uh, that that's the same issue with uh, Volume 3, why I hadn't bought those Urban Legend books because I thought it was something different. And it turns out that's Volume 3. So, yeah, it's, it's a little confusing yeah. how they release the older books. But I dig this cover, I got to say. Yeah, the... It, it's and it's a return to the wraparounds. We haven't had a wraparound cover in a while. It's very uh, prog rock album cover, but I, I don't know. I really like it, and mm-hmm. you know they get it's, so the for tales those of you back. who haven't seen it yet, you can go on our Twitter and Instagram and have a look. It's the four turtles like laying. It's like like the the ceiling view of them laying on the floor. If you open the wraparound, oh, but he's like kicking, in his sleep. Uh, Ron Post. Okay, yeah. So he's kicking. So that's probably Raphael. And then it's got Splinter and like a little meditation triangle. I love the coloring of it. It reminds me of the coloring on that first Tales of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with that bright pink. Like, yeah. These, these are very bright colors. I I really like They're almost that, like watercolors. I like that version of Splinter in the suit. Yeah, he's in like a magician's suit. I don't know, it just works really well. And I guess I'll bring it up now. Ron Post is the, the guy getting kicked. But yeah, it's probably Raph because he's in his section. But I just, I if they ever adapt this, I want Nicolas Cage to play him. <laughs> oh yeah, and that'll come into play when we get to Raph's dream for sure. This might be one of the best covers in the whole run. Definitely, and... Yeah, I loved this issue. I'll say it at the top here. No suspense. I loved this issue. So getting to the inside, uh, right away, the art kind of stands out. Yeah. It's like I would, my first impression, and it still continues to be my impression, was it looks like Doug draws Ninja Turtles. Yes. (laughs) It's creepy how we synchronize. It's even before we speak. Yes. Because you exactly... know how Doug was always drawing comic books on his on the Nickelodeon cartoon Doug, and he would do Quail Man and stuff. That's yep. what this issue looks like. It's Doug draws Ninja Turtles. I I actually through through sections of this issue could hear the <laughs> so yeah, it's the Doug issue. <laughs> and even the page numbers are cute. I don't know if you look down at those, but they're like there's just something about the way they're drawn. Because they're drawn, they're not like printed page numbers, and they're just like the just very curly, very cute page numbers. So the issue opens with Leonardo passed out in a chair, and the narration tells us that today he's foiled six armed robberies, a political assassination, and the invasion of the party-headed platypus people. Perry the platypus people? No, uh, <laughs> the, the platypus people of Proxima Five. My turtle and- NATO. <laughs> I really wish they'd show up in a comic at some point. The platypus people, I, there's a few references to them here. And it would make a cool prequel comic to this one where we see all those things he just mentioned happen. Yeah. The framework of the issue is basically that the team has had this long, exhausting day. And the story's broken up into five sections, each showing us a different character's dream. So it's the four turtles and Splinter. It starts on Leonardo. 
he's dreaming of being a teenager in a high school populated by other like turtles basically everyone's a turtle i think he says and they're drawn and, in a way that isn't like ugh. yeah and they're all like different kinds of turtles it looks like they've got like different shapes to them different sizes they're not just all one uniform thing i don't uh, know why maybe i'm wrong but so <clears throat> you open on leo leaping through the halls but there's a kevin eastman and a peter laird turtle and for, I, I, I guess Peter Laird really is. I always sh- miss those. You miss them, oh. <laughs> but, but now it, I see it. Now that you say it, I guess Peter Laird's just short. But this, to me, seems far more respectful of Peter Laird. And it's just a turtle with glasses. Like it's not anything crazy. Eight fifteen on the snout instead of on the nose. <laughs> He calls Leo so, Mr. Nardo. <laughs> Just like I think it fits perfectly with Leonardo that he would dream of math class. Yep. <laughs> so I I think I think if this book was made today though, it would have kind of been Mike part of this would have been Mikey's dream. The parts about it being high school, because they've kind of made it like his personality trait that he's the one of the four turtles that wishes he was human. And I think this could have been a cool Mikey story, but, but Leo dreaming of math class is a pretty good fit. <laughs> and he, so he, in, he has a foot fetish apparently. Cause you know, this, this girl, Melissa kind of, kind of giving him the eyes and he's doing that classic. I'll carry your books. And he, for whatever reason, he really wants to carry her shoes. I don't know why. Yeah, we got a comment on Twitter about that. Um, yes, I saw that. <laughs> Jen Penn on Twitter said, "Wait, is this the one where Leonardo keeps asking if that if that girl?" Bah. They wrote it correctly. I, I'm just reading it wrong. Wait, this is the one where Leonardo keeps asking that girl if he can hold her shoes. Gotta love Leonardo's foot fetish. <laughs> um, so in Leonardo's dream, he's popular and he's somersaulting through the halls saying hi to everyone he bonks this bully on the head on his way to class while he like cartwheels over everybody and then in class there's this really cool panel of him surrounded by numbers yeah and and he complains that this was a way cooler dream until now because now it's math class so he starts daydreaming in math class about surfing and Eventually, after a few panels of him surfing, the teacher snaps him out of it and he says, um, are you on some kind of, what does he say? Are, are you, you on some kind of wacky drug, Mr. Nardo? Yeah. <laughs> and the teacher looks like Dr. Robotnik, just yeah. less round. <laughs> it's a skinny Dr. Robotnik, like math class with Dr. Robotnik is an interesting dream. <laughs> so then perhaps Robotnik Mr. A- Nardo would like to solve today's impossible equation. Yep. He asked him for that. <laughs> and I liked that. It said, since it's a dream, the answer must be an imaginary number. I thought mm-hmm. that was creative. And then Leonardo wishes something exciting would happen. So the teacher morphs into a giant slug monster. And, after this short fight 
between Leonardo and the slug monster. Leonardo, he beats the slug, he returns to his seat, and now he's like, okay, this is good. We're going to get a substitute teacher who's going to be much easier to deal with. And then it turns <laughs> out the substitute is a giant Tyrannosaurus Rex because they can't go two issues without drawing a dinosaur. <laughs> I, I like uh, that. I don't know if it's just because of what we read before it, but when when the T-Rex subs shows up and she's just, my name is Miss Gnarl, you wretchedly joyous turtles. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, too, because everyone, I mean, it's dream, it's a dream, so there's no logic to it, but everyone in the world is a turtle. Where did this T-Rex come from? Yeah, <laughs> but no, I mean that—that's Leo's section because the last panel mm. is him asleep in the chair, and the books on the shelf say some dreams have a mind of their own. I don't know. I oh, I, I liked his segment. I did not notice that, um, but yeah, yeah, it's a fr- pretty cool segment. And then the next one is Raphael. He's fallen asleep reading comic books, and I had an interesting Easter egg for this. I don't know if you if you noted this it the, the comic that his hand is on is it says those annoying post brothers which was the series that the guest artist this guy matt Howorth, who did this issue that's his comic that he was doing at the time oh i didn't know and that yeah this that series ran for 63 issues from oh. 1985 to 1998 which is a huge run for an oh, 80s yeah. indie comic. It's like one of the longest running indie comics like ever. Not the longest, but it's it's up there. It's in the top like I don't know, top few. Um the Post Brothers were it was Ron and Russ are natives of a mysterious trans-dimensional city known as Bugtown where all the residents possess the ability to engage in interdimensional travel. And Raphael's dream is that he's basically in this guy's comic that he was doing. So his dream, it basically takes him to Bugtown. Raphael goes to Bugtown from the comic. And it's this world that's popularized by all these like different aliens and stuff. And when he first arrives, he says something about how he won't get carded for beer here. Yep. Which I thought was interesting because it's a throwback to like, I think it was issue three where he asks oh, if yeah. she has any beer. And I just think the idea of him being carded, though, it's it the concept, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> because, like, <laughs> when... I don't know. You Raphael don't look over carded? 70. <laughs> He's a turtle. I, I, I like it, that he's though, a teenager, but... But, yeah, I, I like that it's one of the instances where you're reminded they're teenagers. I mean, Leo's, too, because yeah. he wants to be in high school, so... And so, anyway, Raphael, he quickly spots the Post Brothers from that other guy's comic, and he's starstruck because they're his favorite, like, characters. And they're wanted for every crime imaginable. (laughs) He tells them that it's his duty to bring them to justice for their billions of disgusting crimes, is what it says. (laughs) And the rest of the dream is basically just he fights one of the brothers as they keep like shifting reality to gain an advantage on him. And it's, it's just this 
like crazy fight. He puts a sigh through their face at one point. Like he stabs yeah. them in the head and they're fine. And then he like punches the sigh further into his head. And it's crazy. And on the last, did you have anything else to say about the fight? I guess it, it's more noticeable in Raph's section, but I love how the turtles are drawn in this issue. It's like a mirage meets Doug sometimes. Yeah, yeah. No, they definitely have an, a, their drawn's more similar to their first appearance, I think is what you're saying. And, and I agree, like a stretched out kind of like yeah, uh, Stretch Armstrong version of their first appearance. And I, I, I like the, the full page where the guys get the sigh in his head and they're still fighting. <laughs> and refs, I will stop you, Post. I will stop you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it ends with the last... We see him outside the dream, smiling. And it, it and he, he says something about how the, the dream's going to keep going or something. And it, it just, like, centers on the fact that all Raphael ever wants to do is fight. Like, he just always wants to be fighting, and that's when he's happiest. I, I like the panel just before you see him asleep where the entire place is destroyed and Post is, you ripped my jacket again! <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. It, it They did a really good job of dividing this into five sections and not really wasting any moments. Yeah, totally. And like... The stuff that could have been boring and dragged out, which I'll get to when we get there, they made it just short enough where it's like, okay, I get the joke. It's over. Move on. Like uh, more about that in a little bit, but yeah, they, this guy, no, I shouldn't say they, it's one guy, but Matt here, he knows, he knows how to focus his story. (laughs) Moving on. We go to Donatello. He's sleeping on the couch after eating an entire bag of chocolate chip cookies. No, no. Chocolate chip cheese cookies. Oh, that's important because they don't exist. (laughs) And uh, in his nightmare, he has a nightmare. The Ninja Turtles are captured. They're frozen and shipped to a lab where they're unfrozen and subjected to all kinds of like torturous laboratory tests. And it's nice that his dream has this like Frankenstein thing going on when he's like strapped to the table getting like when they're experimenting on them because it reminds me of his let me tell you a story page from from tales and tales of the Ninja Turtles he was like working on a Frankenstein monster in one of them in fact that episode I think we brought up would this be Donatello's monster and not Frankenstein's monster (laughs) because he was the one working on him but anyway so yeah, Donatello's he is the science one, so he's got this like dream where there's these mad scientists and like this crazy lab stuff going on. And there's a top secret government file regarding the turtles and it's stolen by a spy and it's sold to the I love this caption where it said it was sold to the Russians, who sold it to the Chinese, who sold it to the Japanese, and then it finally wound up sold to a Hollywood producer who decides to exploit the Ninja Turtles for his own commercial gain and make, like, cartoons and toys. Which is an idea we've seen in the comic a few times. I think this is the best example of it. The Turtles in their universe, even though it's a dream, but in their universe becoming a cartoon and toys has, has come up a few times. 
Yeah, and I I like that the end of his nightmare is him and one of the other turtles just obese eating, watching the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. Yeah, so this guy, he, he sells it, he, he starts making the show, and as a result, the cartoon and the toys, they become a huge hit in the dream. So the toys become a huge hit, and after that, the turtles are set free because of lack of funding from the wh- whoever was holding them hostage, and they're able to return to their lair and fight crime like they used to do. But now that there's the, the cartoon's like a success, they're celebrities, and every time they try to fight crime like all these like little kids run up to them and they're like oh my god i love you i love like like it's all these little kids like mobbing them every time they try to fight crime and then donatello he goes to splinter for advice and and he has no answers so the ninja turtles become prisoners of their own fame and they're just like laying around watching tv all day and like you said they get lazy and fat and then he wakes up screaming turtle couch potato Teenage Couch Potato Turtles. What a scary dream. Some dreams are actually nightmares. And another thing that's worth noting here, because I did a lot of deep diving this issue, I don't know if this is supposed to be this, but I'm I'm like 90% sure. So Donatello is reading something on his lap that says, brought to light. You can barely make it oh, out. Yeah, it looks yeah, like it yeah. says, brought to light. And I didn't find anything that was specifically called that, but I think it's referencing brought to light 30 years of drug smuggling, arms deals, and covert action is the full title, which maybe they couldn't write that part because of the drugs. <laughs> but it says it, it, that, that book is an anthology of two political graphic novels published by um, Eclipse Comics in 88 and so it would have been around a few years before this. The two stories in there are Shadow Play, The Secret Team by Alan Moore and Bill Sinkenowitz. And then there's Flashpoint, the L.A. Pensa bombing documented by Martha Hooney and Tony Avirgan. And it was adapted by Joyce Brabber and Tom Yeats. So it's this super like political graphic novel comic book. And I totally believe Donatello would read something like that. <laughs> I could see it. So, yeah, I, I think they just could. I think it, it says brought to light on what he's reading. And I think for like, you know, keeping this family friendly reasons, they didn't write the subtitle 30 years of drug smuggling, arms deals and covert action. <laughs> so Master Splinter, he's meditating and he allowed his dream is the most basic one. And this is what I was saying before of like, they don't, they don't drag a joke on too long. Yeah. Like his, his dream is just, he's meditating and he's basically with all these super smart people because he's splinter. He's, um, he's with celebrities, Akira Kegmusha, Albert Einstein, Alfred Hitchcock. And they're all discussing like essential philosophy and like, you know, a bunch of smart guy dialogue. (laughs) And splinter looks pretty good in the tux. Yeah, it reminds me of that cover from the Time Traveler trilogy, because we have to mention that every episode, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I, I I love that this is his dream, and that they don't devote as many pages to it, because it's kind of like, well, you know, that's what Splinter would like to do. And I have a trivia fact here. I have a trivia fact for like each dream, basically. So there's no such person as Akira Kegu- Keg- 
Kegmusha. It's a hard thing to say. Uh, the name, it's a play on Kegmusha, which was a movie directed by Akira Kurosawa. So, uh. Akira Kegmusha. Kag, Kagmusha. <laughs> Kagmusha. Kagmusha. I don't know how it goes. Um, tweeted us, and I'll read it wrong again. <laughs> <laughs> So Michelangelo's got the last dream, and he's fallen asleep listening to his Walkman. So he dreams of being a rock and roll music star. <laughs> uh, during his concert, he's attacked by Dr. Vox, V-O-X, music term, and his cronies. They hate rock and roll music, and they want to see it abolished. I thought this dream was a perfect example of the kind of nonsense insanity that they were trying to go for in other turtles issues that mm -hmm. this actually does properly so it doesn't make any sense he's he's a rock star this guy's trying to end rock music michelangelo's like fighting him with music in the end it's like concluded by his fans help him by racing to a voting booth <laughs> to sign to vote against censorship and it's like this, this weird thing where like, it's like out of nowhere. You know what I mean? They're like, I know how to fight you when they go to voting booths. <laughs> and I don't know. It's just the right amount of random, but with some sense to it. Cause they vote, they're voting against censorship. It reminded me of like that episode of the Simpsons when Homer was in the cabin with Mr. Burns and he's, <laughs> he's like, I have powers, political powers. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know, like that type of that type of what the heck is going on uh, kind of logic. <laughs> um, and that's the end of the issue. There's not really an end. Like they don't like zoom out where we see everybody sleeping. Well, not zoom. It's a comic book, but they don't have a a, a large like final panel where, where you see the full layer. That would have been kind of cool, actually, now that I think of it, where you see them all asleep. But it just ends when Mikey's dream ends. And that's really all it was needed. Yeah, because it just ends with, if I go back to sleep, maybe I'll get to finish the concert. I think we've all yeah. had that, where you're actually having a cool dream, and then for whatever reason you wake up and you're like, maybe I can jump back into it. And more often than not, you don't. And these dreams, there were a lot of cool concepts in here. I, I loved, I don't know, I love this issue. I think that's a perfect way to move into ratings, unless you had more notes. I mean, I just flipping through it quick, and the guys that trap the turtles in Donatello's nightmare look like zombie gumbies, and it's terrifying. I can see that. <laughs> so. There's also uh, another thing that I noticed flipping through here is Michelangelo has a poster for Lou Reed, mm -hmm. his his 1974 album Rock and Roll Animal. But like the poster is covered by dialogue, but you can see where it says Lou Reed and Rock and Roll Animal. <laughs> Interesting. And I, I feel like uh, Doctor Vox feels like he's very timely because the la the last piece of dialogue he has is "How dare they exercise their freedom of choice?" <laughs> <laughs> and he also has kind of like a mustache twirling villain yeah. vibe to him. Like he, he looks like something out of like a Dudley Do-Right cartoon or something. 
He doesn't have a mustache, but it's just like the the way he looks. It's like cartoon villain. And I I like that his monocle is attached to his hat. <laughs> yeah, that is a good look. You know what he kind of looks like? Um, he's kind of got an Emperor Zerg from Toy Story. Yeah, look yeah, going. a little bit. He's got that same head and teeth like his, shape. His <laughs> teeth, his teeth make like whatever that thing on Zerg is supposed to be for his Darth Vader mask. But yeah, he also has kind of a Thanos look to him too. A lot of things going on there. <laughs> so I, I I gave it a 4.3. I really liked it. <laughs> I was wondering, um, I'm making note of the issues that we both give fives to. And like, I'm thinking maybe we start a list of like Hall of Fame issues. Oh, Because okay. I gave this, I gave this, but it's only if we both give it a five. And I gave this a five out of five. I love this issue. Like I said before, like. To me, a five out of five is I read this, I loved it, I loved every page, I wouldn't change anything, five out of five. (laughs) I think the only reason I didn't go that high is I know I'm giving it some points because of the issues that preceded it, (laughs) so... Eh, I don't think I am. I love the concept. I love that this did something different, and it's, it's interesting because, like, it's definitely not a, a Kevin and Peter Turtles story because I was thinking about this in the car the other day and Kevin and Peter Turtle stories, you can always sum them up very quickly. Like even the most more complicated ones, like the summary is like one issue is the turtles see a suspicious building. They investigate the building at the end. They're teleported to another dimension. Next issue. They arrive in the other dimension They don't know where they are. They get captured. They're captured. Next issue. The turtles are captured. They're put in an arena. They escape. They make their way home. Like it's, it's always like super easy beats and these guest era issues. There's a lot to them. And I appreciated that this one went back to being almost like that. It was very simple. It was like each turtle has a dream. The dreams fit their personalities. Nothing nothing that affects the overall story happens at all. <laughs> it's all dreams. Yeah, I, I agree. So I, again, it, it, we're on the way back up. So yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. My last note was just like my, which was your favorite dream? We should do this. Cause I, I have a favorite dream. Which was your favorite dream? Oddly Leo's. I was going to say mine too. And I would totally watch, or read a separate mini series or not. I would totally read a book, a comic book in an alternate Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles universe, which is the Ninja Turtles going to high school. Like that is such a cool concept. There's so much I, that I could would, happen there. Yeah. Cause in rise, they go to the high school a couple times, but they don't really interact. Yeah. With it. Yeah. I, that would be a cool even, thing. Even if you set it in an, like you could do it t- like tiny tunes adventures, which we've brought up a lot on this podcast where it's set in a world where everyone is anthropomorphic animals and they yep. don't stand out. And it's just like the Ninja Turtles in high school. And I don't know. I, I think there's something cool there. It was a very cool dream. That was yeah, I'd, I'd watch that. I think that would be a, that would be pretty cool. Actually. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of, I know there was concept art for like a Batman series set in like 
I don't know. They seem like they were in like the second grade. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever seen that concept art. That cartoon never got made. And then like DC Comics also, what was the name? They had like a comic book series where all it was like Muppet Babies for the DC characters. They were all like babies. They have something with the women of DC where it's more like they're teenagers. I can't think of what now it's called. No, this was different. It was like an alternate universe thing where they were all like little, they were in like kindergarten, I feel like. And they were all, it was like drawn like a, it was a kid's, it was a comic for kids to like get them into reading comic books. Huh. And they were, uh, they were in like DC. I remember the Teen Titans were there. <laughs> Obviously they weren't <laughs> teens though. Other people. <laughs> I see what you're talking about. It's called Superhero Girls. Yeah. But that's not okay. it. Yeah. And I just, I remember in it, Raven was she was there and the principal was trigon her father i think he was the principal he was in the comic too you know he's like this big like devil thing it's i don't know if anyone knows what i'm talking about please tweet at me because this is going to drive me nuts or on instagram (laughs) at tmnt nerds there was a dc comic series where the 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 dc characters it might have just been teen titans and i think wonder woman was there though and they were like in kindergarten and Trigon was either the teacher or the principal or something. And it was like a kid's comic to kind of get kids into reading comics. Like I remember the dialogue and stuff was super easy to read. It was like a children's book as a comic, but all right. I don't know. Tweet us, let us know. Moving on. <laughs> so <laughs> normally this is where we would do our toy figure facts and I guess this kind of is a toy, so we could do toy figure facts. Pizza power! Terminate the turtles! Oh, goody! Fresh turtles for lunch! Turtle soup! My favorite! Ha 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 ha! You shellheads are dead! From Playmates! Today we are going to kind of cycle through different things. I want to also talk about there's a lot of good Ninja Turtle video games that we have to touch on on our show. So today we're going to talk about the original Ninja Turtles NES game, like the one that's just called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, not the arcade game, not no subtitle, just Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on the original NES. Start talking, I guess. I don't have like a format for this or anything. Um... So I, I like that the cover. Now do the, the cover, cover is something we've sense. brought up a few times. <laughs> okay, so the the cover, the box art, I guess we should say, and what's printed on the cartridge itself, it's the second printing of issue number four, and we've brought this up a few times on the show in season one. When you were a kid, you saw that, and you saw them all with the red masks, and you were like, "Oh, they don't know what they're talking about. The turtles are different color masks." Boo. And you didn't realize that it was just taken straight off of an actual Turtles comic. Yeah. That, that's what's kind of funny is... Obviously the cartoon and the movie are what we, how we got into it. And then like the video games were just a nice bonus. So it was funny yeah. for all those years being like, Isn't that right? That's not right. And it's like, no it is right. But that, that goes to show that the Turtle comic wasn't as widespread like popular because... I never had anyone yeah. older than me go, no, no, that that's right. That's from the comics. Yeah, nobody corrected you when you would say, like, like why? In, where's the purple, blue, and orange mask? 
Right. So I didn't know how crazy successful this game was. I mean, I had a feeling, but it was the 11th best-selling NES game. Like, Ever? just missed the top 10. Ever. Yeah. Oh, my God. It, well, yeah. It sold 4 million copies. It sold more than Punch-Out. It sold more than Metroid. Sold more than Kirby's Adventure, DuckTales, all six Mega Man games. This was a very successful, so successful that, and I wish we got this here in America. In Europe, where it's Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, they, it, it was a pack-in game. Like, they have, and I, I've looked on eBay a few times to try to buy one of these. There's a box set, uh, what do you call it? Not a box set, but like, they released a version of the Nintendo console where this was the game you so got was a instead of Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, a bundle. That's what I'm looking for. So there That's was a Ninja cool. Turtle bundle in Europe. We never got it here, though. Wow. I can't and, imagine that yeah, being was, something easy to find. Something worth noting before we get into like details of the actual game is how little the developers had to work with. So this game was released in Japan first, like most video games. It was yeah. released in, in May of 1989. The cartoon debuted in December of 87. So it was really only five months apart. So basically what I'm saying is this game was in development while the first season of the cartoon was in development. Like they didn't, they had almost nothing to work with to develop this game. They, they, they had 14 comics of the main line because they were up. I looked it up. And not even, because that was when it came out, not when they finished. I don't know when they finished development. But the month that it came out, they were on issue 14 in the main line, so the Untouchables. There were the four one-shots, obviously. And they were on the fifth issue of Tales of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the one with Carnage and Radical. And that's about it. <laughs> they had, like concept art and stuff from the cartoon to work with but like they were still making the cartoon while they were making this game so that that's actually a good segue so i watched a playthrough because i have never beaten rocksteady like that's as far as i could get in the game as far as anyone else and i feel like almost everyone humble brag that i have beat this game asterisk i did use save states but i policed them where I only saved at the beginning of levels because I didn't want to ever have to start the game completely over. <laughs> so at the beginning of a level, I would save it and then I would play. I feel like everybody who had an NES had this game. And I know yes. my older cousins had it. They could get to the damn level and that was it. So I watched a walkthrough just to see what the rest of the game is and all that stuff you said makes sense now because... You have Bebop and Rocksteady and Shredder. Mm -hmm. uh, you fight a giant mouser at one point, and there is the Technodrome, but there's no Krang. Yep. I think there's Stone Soldiers. I couldn't tell based off the, the designs, but there's not much Ninja Turtle stuff in it. I agree, and there's a YouTube video. The account is called Oogles, O-G-L-E-S. And the name of the YouTube video, if you want to check it out, is called Enemies in the First TMNT Game Actually Make Perfect Sense 
Um, oh, and then it just says bracket NES Ninja Turtles. So he, he goes on to talk about like, he, he analyzes all the enemies and why they would make sense for Ninja Turtles. And he does make some good points about how they're connected, but it's very tangential. It's very like almost a connection. And I agree with you in that. I think it was more that they were using a lot of stock enemies that just kind of coincidentally fit. Yeah. Like he points out like there are these like, well, let's go over the enemy list. Actually, I have that in one of these tabs I have open here. Um, I actually have the entire instruction booklet here. So, oh, that you've takes got the me back. <laughs> you've got the foot soldier, which yeah, is obvious, the, the mouser. You've got the stick em up, <laughs> which is this weird thing that clings to the ceiling. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Okay. I forget how he made Fire Freak. There's one enemy that he does point out kind of looks like the Rat King, and his Tales book would have been out at the time. I forget which of these he said does, but one of the enemies does kind of look like Rat King. I remember he made a point about the, a lot of them are like robotic, and yep. the the a big theme in the, the Turtles comics and cartoon at the time was like robots and aliens, and some of them are very alien. But yeah, it's very like, you know, it's very retroactively making it make sense. I don't think the developers, I think the developers just made generic enemies and you can, if you want to headcanon a connection, you can make it. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I thought that was interesting when I watched it and I, I kept Mecha laughing. Turtle. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I thought it was metalhead, but it, it isn't. So it predates nope. him, but Chainsaw Maniac, <laughs> that's that's an enemy. That guy that, with the chainsaw. That guy came over from Zombies Ate My Neighbors and Splatterhouse just to appear in this game. But the giant yeah. frog definitely fits Ninja Turtles. Like, yep. it it actually is a design that I kind of like. I don't want to say I like it more than the mutant frogs that we got in the cartoon series, but I definitely like this as a design for a mutant frog. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff in it. It, it I, I, there's no way in hell I ever would have been able to beat it like without. I don't even think I could beat it with save states. But I, I thought it was interesting that it. You, you'll know this. Did this come out before the Adventure of Link? Adventure of Link came out January of '87, so a full year before it. All right, because I thought it was interesting that they did the top-down overworld. And then the 2D side-scrolling levels like that game. Mm-hmm. So, I, and it's funny because it, I guess because it's not Zelda, it works better in theory. I honestly wish they would make a turtle game like this again. Like something that's more platform-oriented. Not a beat than, And I'm looking forward to Shredder's Revenge, or Shredder Returns. Um, is it Revenge or Returns? Now I can't remember. It's one of them. The new, the new one that's coming out. <laughs> hmm? It's one of them. Yeah. I, I can never remember which it is. So whichever one it is, the new game that's coming out, I am looking forward to that. But it is a beat-em-up. And I'm just like, you don't have to do a beat-em-up every time you make a Turtles game. Like, I would like, right. imagine like a, fi- like, back to the beginning of the podcast. Imagine a Final Fantasy-style, turn-based, like, Ninja Turtle RPG where they would learn, like, different ninja moves or something. or And you have, like, an overall story. Imagine a, a platformer turtle game where, where it's like this, 
where you've got like some side scrolling elements and you got to like jump on the different platforms just make sure there aren't a hundred enemies on the screen at a time like this game sometimes does to you yeah yeah um and and it'd be great so yeah my, my favorite thing watching the game was every time april shows up all her dialogue ends with you have my support it's like oh and oh, in thank you interesting note about that in the japanese version of this game and i i've read somewhere that it's in the u.s version too and i tried finding where this comes from from the u.s version and i couldn't find it anywhere so please send it to me if you know but at least in the japanese version april is splinter's daughter in the game which doesn't make any sense until you think about splinter was human yeah at one point in the, in this version of the turtles even in this game's version because the whole plot which you haven't even touched on the plot of the game but the whole let's let's go through that this is this is how random <laughs> this is how random you know one thing leads to another so let's go over the plot of the game i got the manual here this is straight from the instruction manual of teenage mutant ninja turtles prepare to shell out some punishment Steam rises from Wall Street sewers like hot breath from a pack of wild dogs. Just <laughs> below the pavement's puddle-strewn surface, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have gathered around the leftovers of a family reunion-sized sausage pizza with extra sauce. Usually these party dudes would inhale the mozzarella platter as if it were the last za on earth, but not tonight. You see... Only hours ago, their trusted friend April, TM, was kidnapped. <laughs> they own April. They own the whole month of April. It is trademarked. That is how much money they made <laughs> off this property. You can't trademark the, a name April. Okay. So anyway, it says TM. <laughs> so their trusted friend April was kidnapped from her mobile news van by the vile, ruthless terrorist bully, Shredder TM. <laughs> Shredder is also trademarked <laughs> and in all caps. He's a sliceomatic crumb, a villain more vicious than any army of mine altered Bruce Lee's. With their lovely cohort cohort held hostage, the fearless foursome. This is starting to be like when I read the, the toys. Toy figures. <laughs> With their lovely cohort held hostage, the fearless foursome must concoct a way to rescue April before Shredder brainwashes her into joining his ninjutsu foot clan. That's an interesting plot point. <laughs> They'll combine this treacherous task with the mission they've been on since their mutated beginnings to thrash Shredder and capture his life transformer gun. This is what I was talking about a minute ago with Splinter being human. The lone piece of technology that can turn their rat friend Splinter, TM, <laughs> back into the man he used to be. So take control of these heroes in a half shell and either claim total victory over New York's premier kick man, or lead them onto the menu at McTurtles, home of the quarter flounder with cheese. All right, not a strong ending to this paragraph. <laughs> well, 
I never owned it, but all the times I played it at other people's house, there was a lot of quarter flounders with cheese. <laughs> I like it. So it's got character descriptions, and I'm not going to read them all for each turtle. But it says, the turtles, not to be confused with the beetles. <laughs> In the instruction manual. They just had all sorts of fun, huh? So apparently the turtles have, the game never gives you any indication of this, but I think the turtles have different stats. Yeah, they do. I don't know them off the top of my head, but some take damage better, some some attack better, things like that. that. That's one of the things that I've still find unique about that game, is that you could switch between the four of them on the fly. Yeah, I love that part of it. Cause like, if you're like, Oh, who needs health? I found a pizza. Yep. You know, there's some grit. That's what I, why I wish like a good version of this game would be made. And you know what we need to bring up? Cause I'm sure people listening to this are screaming at us right now. Talk about the underwater level. I'm going to, I'm sorry, guys. It's not as hard as you say it is. And here's the thing. You're mad at the wrong thing. Okay. That level is all about repetition. Once you know where the the bombs are, it is super easy to just swim straight to them and finish. And you can even take damage while you're doing it because by the time you get all of them done, like before the timer runs out, you're fine. The thing is, the thing you should be mad about is when the four turtles die, you have to start the game all the way over and it just takes you forever to get back to the underwater level. So it takes a while to learn the layout. But I swear to this day, I can still do that level. No problem. Because once you know where to go, it's easy. The problem is all the time you have to invest to getting to the point where you know where to go because it won't start you back at that level. Like if, if the game just started you back there when you game over like if you had some more continues, it would be fine. And that's the thing you should be mad about. Not the underwater level. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised because of when it came out in the NES's life, there were no passwords. Exactly. A password system would be good too. That would work. You could start right at the dam and just keep game overing as you learn the pattern. Like, okay, okay. I go from here to here and then from there to there and then from there to there. And once you know that, it's just, it's, you just do it. It's just about doing it and you'll make it through every time once you know it. It's really interesting to me that that game was so successful, but like you said, they've never gone back to that format. Yeah, it it's interesting that it outsold the other Turtles games as well. Like, let me read, let's see what the top 10 games were. I have that in one of these tabs here. So the top 10 NES games that beat this were Super Mario Brothers. Let me move your your picture over so I can see this. Here you go. <laughs> so Super Mario Brothers sold 40 million. Okay. Obviously it was packed in with the system. They're, they're right. counting that. Um, Duck Hunt, which I guess is... How was packed oh, in too? It was packed in, but there was also a version of Super Mario Brothers, which was just with Mario Duck. Brothers. So I'm like, why aren't these numbers the same? <laughs> um, I think there was one so, that had that and Duck Hunt too. There's one that had three games. It was Super Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt, and the arcade Mario Brothers, where you're just running on the Oh, pipes. yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, Duck Hunt was the second best-selling with 28,000, but it kind of doesn't count. 
Super Mario Brothers 3, 18 million. I should have said it was 28 million, sorry. And 18 million. Um, Tetris, 8 million. Super Mario Brothers 2 international version, so not the lost levels, was 7 million. Legend of Zelda, 6.5 million. Dr. Mario, just shy of 5 million. Zelda 2 The Adventure Link, 4.3 million. Excite Bike, 4.1 million. Golf, which I was surprised by, is the number 10. I'm surprised Excite Bike's above Punch Out. Punch-Out is, let's see, Punch-Out is number 17 on this list. I was going to say, it's going to be in the top 20, by the way. But that's crazy. (laughs) I'm getting this from Wikipedia. So NES Golf rounded it out? NES Golf was number 10, May 1st, 1984, just before I was born. Four million copies. And then, yeah, Ninja Turtles, they... Basically, golf sold 10,000 more copies than Ninja Turtles. It was that close. That's really... No, I guess I could see that at the time because if you were a teenager and you didn't know about Ninja Turtles and you had any... Yeah, okay. It makes sense. Punch-Out doesn't make sense to me. I feel like that should be in the Excite Bike spot, but... I don't see Final Fantasy on this list since we brought it up a lot this episode. Final Fantasy III. Final I Fantasy III. But we didn't get that one here. This no, was the I, NES I Final Fantasy III. It must have sold decent, but... I mean, back. keep in mind, back then, it was a big deal for a game to even sell a million copies. Right. Like, the games... This list goes all the way down to 70, and this it's all tied like because it's not exact numbers but all the games in position 70 are just games that sold a million copies and then anything that sold less than a million isn't on the list huh but yeah it's interesting that this turtles game was that successful none of the beat-em-up ones which are the ones that we tend to remember more fondly i guess sold as many i mean i mean I would assume Turtles in Time being on a different console sold more, but because I I remember that where there was like one kid down the street who had both and it was like, oh my God, you have a Sega and an SNES. Oh my goodness. You know? Oh yeah. But no, we did it pretty cool in my neighborhood where we would divide things up. I had a neighbor across the street where we would play video games together and I had the Super Nintendo, so he got the Sega Genesis. I got, which generation was this? When he got a Dreamcast, I think that was, what was it? Was it the PlayStation 2 or the Nintendo 64? Either way, I get, we would always buy the opposite. And even down to like game franchises, I remember I had Mega Man 4, which to this day is my favorite Mega Man game because I, I owned it. It was one of the first games I owned because another tangent back then you would just rent games because you couldn't even save your progress anyway. So you would just, you would just rent it. But, yeah. um, but yeah, I owned Mega Man four. He owned Mega Man three and a kid down the street had Mega Man five. So we would like trade the cartridges back and forth to play like, um, f- three, four and five. Yeah. Cause I think they, I mean things haven't changed, but they have changed because I miss the days of not being able to afford games and having to rely on it coming from my parents. 
you know, when mm. sales weren't a thing constantly on online stores and you just keep buying stuff you're never going to play. But, yeah, the kid down the street, I remember he had tournament fighters for SNES, so I would borrow that and he would borrow Street Fighter 2 or something. And But that was one I never owned, but that's how I played it. And that's pretty much, I think, all the notes I have on the NES Turtles. I mean, I could read this whole instruction manual. It's really interesting. So if you're interested, though, I got to say, it's it's out there. Just Google Ninja Turtles instruction manual. You can get a PDF of it, no problem. Um, but I thought it was interesting that they put it on the Wii Virtual Console. Yeah, there's notes in here. I didn't want to get too into that, but like it was poorly reviewed on the Wii Virtual Console, and... A lot of the things it got criticized for were things I feel like people weren't taking into context when the game was released. Like, like one of the things was it was criticized for not having a lot to do with the Ninja Turtles cartoon show. But like we just discussed, it, the cartoon show didn't exist. Like it was in development at the same time. So you can't critique it for that. <laughs> I, I like wouldn't the diffi- even... The difficulty, I'll give it. That's a fair critique. But But there were some nitpicks in there. Yeah, but I I see it come up on a lot of worst games lists, and I, I can't give it that. No. Because even though it's it's like ghoul, it's like cat, uh, not, what's it yeah, called? Yeah, it's ghouls, ghouls, and, ghosts. and ghosts. It's like ghouls and ghosts. It's, it's hard, but it's fun to play. It, the game tricks you into thinking, if I just get a little better, <laughs> I, can, I can make it there. And yeah, uh, I don't know. I like it. It's a good game. I'm going to play it till I die. The end. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty much everything I have for this week. Yeah, so th- thanks for uh, listening. And, I mean, we're, we're planning on rotating stuff through the toy section, so don't worry. The figures will come back. But it was nice to talk about something different. Yeah, so I'd, I'd love to talk about all the Turtles games, or at least up to a point. Like, at least up to Turtles in Time. Like, because I like the Game Boy games. I like, you know, obviously we got to talk about Turtles in Time at some point. I feel like we could do a whole episode on Turtles in Time. Um, And there's still plenty of toys to choose, though. And eventually we're going to do whole episodes on the movies. Look forward to that. Uh, Yeah. So thank you guys very much for listening. I don't hate Michelangelo. I'm just <laughs> just tired of talking about his figures. That's all. <laughs> I mean, he's one of a kind, and you, you, you know just where to find him when it's party time. <laughs> Here's my note to you for the toys. Try and do more of the villains. <laughs> I just try to find whatever I think connects to the issue. <laughs> And believe it or not, I was thinking about this al- the other day. There's not a lot of villains. Like, no, I know. Or, or when they are, they they have nothing to do with the comic we're talking about. I know, I know. <laughs> but we'll get them all in there. We got, we still got like 20 more issues of this to go, and we've, you know, we're going to be doing segments for the rest of the time we have this podcast. We still got I mean, five just think, volumes of about TMNT. It now. We've only scratched the surface of TMNT that's out there. We've the, got the, plenty of Ninja Turtle stuff to talk about. You you could have brought up Ground Chuck when we were doing the aliens because there was a cow. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I definitely need to bring up um, Mount uh, Moose because I love that guy. <laughs> I don't know what story he fits in. Maybe they'll go to Canada at some point. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, this has been a much longer episode than normal, but, you know, I'm sure people like that. Uh, you you don't have to listen to it all at once. <laughs> Portion it <laughs> out a, throughout the it's day. It's an interesting to tell you. It's an interesting thing to tell you at the end of the podcast. Hey, now that you're at the end, you didn't have to listen to this all at once. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you guys so much. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. I think I'm going to start a Facebook group. I don't know. It never seems to work. Uh, have a good time. Bye. <laughs>The Ninja Turtle Nerds is a fan-supported podcast. If you'd like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash tmntnerds. If you'd like to see images of the comics we discussed in this episode, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at tmntnerds. Have a question or comment for us? You can email us at tmntnerds at gmail.com. And if you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much for listening.